welcome to EI on the Fly, our podcast about all things early intervention. We're glad to have you joining us. Today, we're going to move into talking about the importance of team members helping one another grow and learn. So we're going to be expanding our series on top teaming and collaboration. So let me first introduce myself, and then I'll have my co-host introduce um, herself, and then we'll keep going. So I'm Dana Childress. I work in Virginia as an early intervention professional development consultant on our state's training team. So I develop resources and train, talk about things like this to, with the early intervention service providers in our state. Emily? Yeah. Hi. Uh, I'm Emily Webb. I am the coordinator of general supervision here in the state of Massachusetts, and I make sure that we implement Part C of IDEA. And along with that, I've done a lot of um, professional development work. And I also have a child who received um, just over two and a half years of early intervention. Sounds good. I appreciate that. You, I always love your stories, Emily. Um, so today, like I said, we're moving into a new topic. We're going to be talking about shared learning and how we grow and learn together on the teams where we find ourselves. So this topic, I think, is almost like a foundation for all of our previous topics. So our other episodes on teaming and collaboration have addressed how teams understand their shared purpose, the big mission of early intervention, how we share common tasks, how we value and respect each other, and how we can communicate. And as you know, that's so important. So today we're really going to think think about how do we, if we learn and grow together, that can affect all these other topics related to teaming and collaboration. So Emily and I are really happy to have Sarah Nichols joining us today. Sarah is another professional development specialist and a colleague and a friend of ours. So I'm going to ask uh, Sarah to introduce herself and then we'll dive right in. So Sarah? Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me, Emily and Dana. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, as Dana said, I am a professional development specialist. I actually work with the Early Intervention Training Program at the University of Illinois. And uh, I've also been a service coordinator. That's actually how I started in the field. So I was a service coordinator for seven years. And I would say that I learned so much about teaming and collaboration um, from the families that I served, as well as the team members that I worked with during those seven years that have really supported me and my continued learning and growth as a professional development specialist. So thanks for having me. Yeah, I think that's something all three of us have in common, that experience uh, in the field and experience with professional development, which matches pretty well with how we're, where we're going with our podcast today. Yeah, Sarah, we're so excited to... Um have you here today. The other thing I want to kind of let people know is Sarah has uh, co-authored a book called Growing Together, Developing and Sustaining a Community of Practice in Early Childhood. And I um, encourage people to check it out. I'm sure throughout this podcast episode today, we'll hear about Sarah's experience um, kind of developing and sustaining communities of practice and how that has really helped not only her, but um the field of early intervention really develop and grow. I know the state of Massachusetts as a whole has really, um, we have really benefited from um, having Sarah kind of pull together this national community of practice that's really supported people's understanding. So definitely check it out. So today we, you know, we're going to talk about when teams prioritize growing and learning together. What what does that look like? And what it looks like is, you know, they pay attention to what team members need to know, what challenges they're facing, what interests they share, what strategies they need or want to learn about. And then they explore topics, they share information, and they set goals together. So Sarah, let me ask you, what do you think about how teams learn and grow together. What does this look like to you? Yeah, you know, um, 
there's just so many different ways that teams can learn and grow together. And some of sometimes we think about that in a more formal sense, uh, whether it's attending a conference, attending a training, joining a webinar, um, doing something synchronous or asynchronous where maybe you're just listening and kind of learning on your own or um, participating in a live event where there's interaction and dialogue. And so I would say, you know, as professionals, um, there's a lot of different avenues and opportunities for us to choose to continue our learning and growth as individuals, as well as with our fellow team members and partners. Uh, you know, uh, so sometimes, uh, sometimes that looks like um, kind of an individual um, process or path that's more formalized, but it can also happen um, in, a, in a less formal way. Um, with your team members. And that may be just, um, you know, picking up the phone and calling a fellow team member who um, is either fulfilling the same role you are, who can just problem solve from your own perspective, or maybe it's somebody who fulfills a different role on the team that you can bounce ideas off of and learn together um, and just kind of problem solve. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways, both formally and informally, um, you know, as well as just when you do go to a, a workshop or one of those more formal um, methods, if you invite your team members to join you and you guys can participate together, there's so many opportunities for learning and growing and discussing what you've um what you've gained and what you want to try to practice and support each other in that process. Or if you did attend something on your own, uh, to have the opportunity to be able to be intentional and plan for a time to reflect on what you learned and how you can bring it back to your team and, and process. I know one of the things that I do uh, whenever I attend uh, a workshop or a conference, I, I usually try to schedule a time to debrief with one of my team members afterwards to hold me accountable. So, you know, I'll go to a formal um, event and then I'll, 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 have something on the calendar. So whether the person attended with me or not, I'll find somebody that can process with me and help me think about those practices um, a few weeks after. So I have some time to digest. So finding an accountability partner um, on your team is also helpful too. Wow. You know, I, I think you like, you talked about it exactly. What, what does it look like? I think the way that it looks to you and what you described is probably what a lot of us think about when we think about teams, you know, learning and growing together. You talked about it looks like formal learning. It looks like, you know, planned professional development, workshops, webinars, and then, you know, some of the more informal interactions that you um, talked about. I love this idea of having kind of an accountability partner, you know, and, and really make, I think doing that for me anyway, I haven't thought about it, but it would make me really in the moment when I was doing the, you know, more formal professional development, really think about what do I want to share? What do I want to take away from this? You know, having kind of that accountability to then be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to share my knowledge with somebody else on my team and be really intentional about that. I, I feel like it would help me kind of uh, be more present in the the learning opportunity that I was taking part in. So I love that idea. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I think it also takes advantage, better advantage of whatever funds go into sending someone to training or the time when it's going to be shared. So I love the accountability partner too. And I love the idea of whether you're sharing it with one person or I've heard of staff where they'll go to a training, come back and share it in another staff meeting after the training. So everybody gets the handouts and the person does an overview of what they learned. So it just kind of, you know, spreads the learning a little further. Did you have something else to add, Sarah? 
Yeah, you know, we we do that sometimes if we go to a conference as a staff, um, sometimes we intentionally will go to the same session so that we can listen and hear and process. And sometimes we divide and conquer where, you know, if not everybody can go to everything, we all look at, you know, what's available. And so whether that's at a planned conference event or Um, you know, a a virtual opportunity that you're looking to participate in, you know, not everybody has time to do everything. And so if um, there's almost like a planned professional development plan for your team or for the staff to to look at and figure out how to divide and conquer and then do that pair and share or that report back. So at a upcoming staff meeting, you know, have somebody, you know, highlight a couple of talking points of something they learned, something they tried, um, something that they maybe want to try and they need some help implementing. So um, that's definitely a strategy that we've used in the past. Same here. Our team does that too. When we're lucky enough to go to a conference, we pretty much divide and conquer unless there's a session that we all really, really just want to see. And then it makes for great discussion afterwards because of those different perspectives. So I'm thinking too, Sarah, as we're talking through this, there could be people listening. They go, oh, wow, get to go to a conference. Wouldn't that be great that maybe they work somewhere where that's a barrier, where there maybe there's not you know, funding or especially right now there's travel limitations to be able to go. You know, So I, I think that's something we could talk about, different kinds of barriers to shared learning because acknowledging them will help us think of strategies to move past them. So when you think about that, what barriers come to mind that might get, get in the way of a team being able to engage in shared learning? Yeah, you know, I think, um, well, time is always, you know, always a challenge, finding enough time. Um, Sometimes it's also, as you mentioned, the cost and travel. And I would say with virtual learning and opportunities to connect virtually, that's um, in some ways I'm hoping uh, and and seeing a little bit that that's improving in people's availability um, because the the travel costs are not um, the same if you're able to participate from your home office or from your home site. So, um, so hopefully with the advancement in technology and the opportunities to use technology for learning and growth, um, maybe that'll be something that will help um, alleviate some of those barriers. But time is always a challenge. And and when it comes to time, sometimes it's also about billable time. Um, and I know we don't like to talk about money because um, most people who are in this field, really everybody that's in this field, none of us got into this field because of money. We got into this field because we care about kids and families and that's our passion and that's that's the work that we want to do. Um, but we know that it's important for us as professionals to be current on um, evidence-based practices and have an understanding of um, the the leading research in the field, and so um, we have a you know somewhat of a professional responsibility to um, continue to prioritize it, and whether it's something that's supported within our um, structure of our program or our system that supports our time and or um, supports the the financial. Um, connection that might go with either it's you're using your time for that so you're not seeing kids and families and and that's taking time away from maybe income in that capacity or or the travel or um you know cost of the conference or the workshop i mean at some level as professionals we take a, a, a if, if you're a dec member division for early childhood there's a code of ethics and so one of the pieces is just about really as a professional it's important so we're all at different places with that some people are super intrinsically motivated with a growth mindset ready to to learn and grow and couldn't imagine um being in the field without knowing what's going on and being on the cutting edge and others um just 
don't really have that same level of, of excitement for learning for whatever reason. Maybe it's just not in their nature or maybe they're just so overwhelmed and so many other priorities have taken precedence. So I think it's one of those things that, um, you know, there's a lot of different barriers. Sometimes they're system-wide, sometimes they're individual, sometimes it's just that moment in time of whatever um, is on people's plates. But um, as professionals who are caring, compassionate, um, and passionate about what they do and the work they do in this field, um, we do have some level of responsibility to, to think about um, what our role is and um, identify some strategies to overcome those barriers, whether or not they're supported in the culture and the system that we're working within um, or not. I think that's a really powerful statement because it ultimately puts the responsibility for professional growth on the individual. You know, which is a which is an important place to be as a professional. Some of us have more opportunities for learning than others. Some have more opportunities that are supported in our work culture, and others may have fewer. But you know, you're right, Sarah. There's a lot of archived opportunities for learning online. That if you need to know, hopefully something is out there. So so when we grow and we learn together, it doesn't always mean we have to have the the time or the travel time, the funding to go to a conference or a big workshop, there are other ways to approach shared learning that maybe don't make us have to travel or or, or disrupt our day in, in such a big way. So let's think about some of those ways that people can learn and grow together that might be a little less formal or what are some of the opportunities out there? So I think I'm going to throw this one to Emily. Um, what are some of the strategies you can think of, Emily, that maybe you've used with some of the teams you've worked on or or as a team member or just some things you can suggest to folks to think, they maybe to think creatively um, about how they can seek those learning opportunities. Yeah, um, I think one of the things is having dedicated time at regular staff meetings for for learning and growth. You know, I, I, I think it's easy, you know, as an administrator and somebody that is responsible for planning weekly staff meetings, it's easy to get um, kind of caught up in the the minutiae of, of what's happening or the day-to-day things or answering questions or putting out fires or, you know, never mind the whole, all of the HR things that we all, you know, are kind of dealing with on a regular basis. But I think really carving out time for, for learning and growing, you know, it's, it's almost like a form of professional self-care. Um, and I think when we do it, it's really helpful. I remember when I was, I was working in, um, EI and part of my role was professional development, planning professional development for our, our team. So I, um, I broke the team up into teams and I said, so what we're going to do is we're going to have like a resource share and I want each of the team to kind of come to team meeting with all of these resources that you can share with your colleagues. And, you know, it was silly and competitive and there was a prize for the team that won. But I have to tell you, we learned about so many different resources that were out there. It, it was it was like, wow. And, you know, we started really incorporating them. And then, you know, like you guys talked about before, it led to discussions and um, you know, us kind of being thinking about, oh, what do we want to learn about or, or what might come next or what do we want to prioritize? Um, so I definitely think having that dedicated regular time for learning and growing is huge. Um, I think another thing is just shared problem solving. 
to discuss challenges with supporting, you know, families or even just some of the other challenges that come up in early intervention. We know the the field of early intervention is always changing and paperwork and, you know, different things. Um, but, you know, spending time to really brainstorm strategies to overcome challenges so that everyone can learn from other people's experiences. Um I think that that is is really important. The other thing I think is really important, and I was thinking about this when you know you guys were talking earlier, is um, when you've decided to kind of embark in professional development is not being afraid to fail. I remember I went to a conference and I learned about this aquatics program, and I was like, "Wow, that's really interesting." And you know, I was like, I like to swim that that sounds cool. And so I went and I was like, Oh, my goodness, this is great. Um, And then I ended up going to, um, you know, a a friend of mine who's a PT that I worked with at the time, I was like, we're gonna do this. And she was like, No, we're not. And I was like, Yes, we are. Come on, let's do it. Come on. (laughs) And um, we went and and we got trained. And um, then we kind of got back to the program. And it was like, all right, so we're gonna start an aquatics program, you know, we're, 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 we're going to do this. And, um, we had to really not let this fear of failure get in our way. I mean, we had to find a local, you know, community spot that had a pool and there was some trial and error and some worked and some didn't. And, um, you know, some of our strategies worked, some of it didn't, we really kind of had to, um, we had to just be really committed and not be afraid to fail. And I, I will just, tell you with this, you know, story, um, we finally found a local Y that, you know, worked and partnered, and then they were able to learn from us and incorporate some of the things that we were doing in our aquatics program into their regular swim lessons for infants and toddlers to make them more accessible for, um, all kids and families, which, you know, really we think about the entire community benefited because we went to that one professional development and weren't afraid of fa- afraid to fail when we came up with um, challenges and barriers. What a powerful story, Emily. I think what I love about that is it's a great example of it's not enough just to go to a workshop or read a journal article. It's like, what do you do with it? The so what factor. And you give a great example of taking what you learned, partnering with somebody else and creating something really impactful. I mean, that's the ultimate goal of any professional development opportunity. So I love that. What did you think, Sarah? Yeah, you know, I have so many things I want to respond to. So I'll try to keep my thoughts succinct here. But one of the things that that reminded me of is when I was a service coordinator, and I had always had this one kind of way that I would lead and facilitate team meetings. And I had an opportunity to attend a workshop and talk with some other service coordinators. And I learned about some different ways to do that. And and so I was really nervous about trying to facilitate the meeting a little bit differently. So um, one of the things that I did was I actually talked with the team of providers. I talked with the family and I kind of just put it out there and I said, hey, I just learned about something. I'm going to try something. It's going to look a little bit different. I'm going to let you know that, you know, I'm, I'm open for feedback. I'd like to know what you like about it, what you didn't like about it. So after the meeting today, if you're willing to share with me some suggestions for improvement or the things that you really liked about it, I'd really love to hear it. And so that was how I handled it with some families that I knew well. It wasn't my first time meeting them. It was a team that I knew well. Obviously for a team that I, um, or for if it was a first time meeting a family, they wouldn't know it was any different, right? And so, um, but I found it was something safe for me 
to try something new that I had learned with a family I was familiar that I was familiar with, and a, the team of providers that I was familiar with, so that um, I could really um, put myself out there, be a little bit vulnerable, and let them know um, that I was open for the feedback. and And so um, it was really quite special. I had been a service coordinator for several years, um, and it was like I was just you know, two or three years into the job and I was finding out a whole new way of doing things that worked much better for the families and the teams. And so I, um, I love that idea about not being afraid to fail and, um, and, and then, you know, really utilizing the people around you to, to help you try something new. Um, the other piece that I thought about um, what you said, Emily, was when you were trying to structure some professional development in your role. And I think that's something that's really important for those um, listeners who may be supervisors or administrators or professional development specialists who are trying to gain get some ideas um, you know, to, for, for how to support their staff or how to design your um, instruction that really creates lots of different opportunities and avenues for people to engage um, and try things in a way that works best for them. Because there's really no one one size fits all for how we uh, like to learn and how we like to engage, and so I think really being intentional. Um, if your role is to to be somebody who prepares and leads adult learners um, in a variety of ways to engage as they learn and grow together, to to be informed and have some ideas uh, about how that might look differently for different people based on the way that they like to learn and engage. You know, both of those comments, Sarah. I think apply both to professionals, to your colleagues, for administrators and leaders, but also to thinking about families and how families grow and how we can take what we're learning and share it with them and how we can learn from families. So I feel like it's we have kind of a nice transition here to think about what what can we learn from families? How can we grow together? Because I think, you know, hopefully all of us in early intervention, you you see the golden opportunity you have to learn from families and to grow with them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this back over to Emily to help us think through that and think through how can we kind of take some of the things we've talked about today, how we can grow ourselves and apply that to our relationships with families. I think thinking about um, families, I think one thing is providing information that meets a need and answering questions with just enough information. You know, I, I think um, it's easy to provide families with lots and lots and lots of resources. And, you know, obviously it's it's July of 2020. And so we're sort of I don't know if we're really coming out of COVID, but um, I definitely say will say as a parent, I felt this. I felt very over-resourced, you know, in March when schools were closing down, and especially having a child on an IEP that, you know, was in preschool. It was like too much, too, too much. I, I, I didn't ask this. This wasn't, this wasn't my, my concern. And so I think answering questions with just enough information is helpful. And then, you know, the other thing I would also say is using some of the functional assessment that, you know, Dana and I have previously talked about to make sure that you're really answering the question. You know, I think sometimes parents come with a question and you say, oh, that's interesting. And you kind of give an answer. And instead of sort of stopping and pausing and asking more questions to get a lot of information. I remember I was doing some professional development with a um, 
an EI team and we were kind of talking about this. May I might have shared this story in, in you know some of our previous episodes around functional assessment, but um, the family was saying that they they wanted help around petting the cat. Um, and so they started to think about like, okay, like gentle touching and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, somebody on the team sort of stopped and paused and asked more questions. And what they really found out was that the child was struggling to um, have appropriate behavior when her mother was occupied. The mother was enrolled in college and doing like classes online. Um, and so I, it was just kind of a good reminder of like, you could you could give all kinds of uh, information to that parent about petting the cat but if you don't really get to the root cause of the issue around sort of you know appropriate behavior when you your parent is occupied um you're not really necessarily helping so um i would you know i would definitely say using some of the functional assessment answering questions with just enough information um and you know giving families time to process that information i think and i know i'm (laughs) I'm 100% guilty of this, is giving lots of information to my families based on whatever it is. And then, like, that's it. I, I, I never follow up on it. I never ask questions about it. I never sort of say, like, did you get a chance to look at it? Did you want to talk about it? Um, and I think that that's, that's really important. You know, doing early intervention, you know, all day, every day, it becomes second nature to us. It's it's what we do. It's what we do for a living. We become experts. And I think it's sometimes easy to forget that this isn't the, the life of this this family, you know, this is very new to them, even if they've been in EI for a year and a half, you know, potentially, um, their child's diagnosis is new, or the thing that they're struggling with is new. And so giving them time to kind of sit and process it. And I would also say, like, not just a week, you know, you can give them information. And in, in a week, I think this is another thing where I've definitely sort of real life experienced is they're like, No, I didn't have any questions. Um, and and that might be, or maybe they haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Things are busy when, when you're raising a family. And so bringing it up, you know, the next visit or a month later, or even, you know, six months later when a similar question comes up. Um, Sarah, I'd be curious to hear, like, what are other um, suggestions and strategies you have about um, helping families learn and grow together? Yeah, you know, I would say um, I agree with everything that you said. I think um, sometimes, you know, when we get in the groove and we've been doing um, what we do for as long as some of us have been um, in the field and in our roles, um, that we kind of forget that sometimes this is uh, the first time, that this is all new to families. So I think really pausing and paying attention um, and and getting to know the family and um, where they're at, as well as Um, the different ways that they like to learn and grow and engage with materials. I've actually been doing, uh, I've been really interested in doing a lot of um, reading and listening to a generational researcher who is um, talking about how different generations like to learn and grow and engage. And so it's interesting because um, you know, the, the parents of young children today are, um, might be 20, 30, 40 years younger than some of us in the field. And so, um, 
you know, the, the ways that individuals um, of a younger generation want to engage um, with information, materials, opportunities to learn might be vastly different from the professionals that are um, in the home serving them every day. Um, and I think with that said, um, having a good understanding about, um, you know, as a professional, what it is about what what really moves me and motivates me um, is important, you know, so that I know how to maximize my own professional growth. But um, really taking the time to ask those questions, try different formats of sharing materials, whether it's, um, you know, sharing short videos, um, maybe it's sharing infographics. Um, you know, identifying the resources out there that speak to the family's interest, finding out where they like to go to get information um, is really important because, you know, if I shared, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a data junkie. I like to read research articles um, and I, I like to, you know, understand data. Um, but, you know, if I shared a, you know, a 10 page report with a family, um, that, that might not interest them very much. So I have to think differently about the way I share information. I might like the details, um, but that may not be the way that um, the people that I'm working with, partnering with on the teams, the family and other professionals um, like to learn and engage. Yeah, I think that's a good point just to consider the individual who you're you're learning and growing with, whether that's the family or other colleagues, right? Uh, I think that's a that's a really good point. And something that is sometimes you have to be intentional about remembering because we just sort of get involved in our own perspective, our own point of view. Um, I think one of the things you said at the beginning too, Sarah, I wanted to touch on is we've given some, I think, some good strategies for helping families learn, knowing that this is a huge learning curve entering the early intervention system for many families. But before we wrap up, I wanted to touch on what we can learn from families too. Because um, I, I can't remember if you said it earlier, Sarah, or if you said it before we started recording, but I feel, as you said, um, that I learned so much from families and I had to be open to learning a lot from families when they gave me feedback, certainly, but sometimes they had ideas and they knew about resources or had perspectives that I just never had before. So I learned this as an early, as a much younger early interventionist, the importance of being comfortable saying, I don't know. If they need to learn something, they need to know something saying, I don't know and saying, I'll help you find it out, or I'll go look for it, I'll definitely follow up and follow through. But when I was a new early interventionist, I remember feeling like saying, I don't know when a family had a learning need or had a question made me feel like, oh, well, you know, maybe that's kind of a weakness, I'm supposed to know. But early intervention is complex. And being able to admit that you you might not know the answer or the, you, there's a need that the family has that you can help them, even if it means you're learning together about how to solve that problem. So I, I know you mentioned that before, and I wondered if you had anything you'd like to add there. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I can't remember if I said it before we started recording That's as we okay. were getting started or if it's on the recording, but I, I made reference of um, that, you know, I've, I've learned so much from families almost um, more in the seven years as a service coordinator, I, I learned from families than anything else that I've done as a professional in my 20 years in the field. And I would say um, probably one of the harder and most important lessons that I learned from a family early on was that it's not all about me. <laughs> um, you know, if a family um, 
I'm a very uh, conscientious, perfectionist, type A personality person, and I want to do everything right and to the best of my ability. And um, in my effort to do that, I could sometimes um, overwhelm the family as well as overwhelm myself. And what I learned was that if a family um, was not being responsive or was not being receptive uh, or um, just wasn't really in the right time, space, or place to move forward with whatever it is we were talking about, um, that it wasn't about something that I did or didn't do, that it wasn't something about that, something that I said or didn't say or the way I handled it, um, as much as it was maybe sometimes just about where they were. And I needed to, um, in our program, we actually had um, a, a role called a parent liaison, which was a parent who had been through the program that would consult and support professionals in the program to help them understand the parent's perspective. And so I utilized um, those parent liaisons so much um, as I worked to develop relationships and learn and grow with the families that I was serving um, because they could always remind me um, of the family's perspective, of what it what it might mean when they don't return my phone calls, or what it might mean when they're frustrated with me and taking some frustra- frustrations out on me. It, it may have nothing to do with me. I mean, it might have. It might have if I failed to do what I said I was going to do. It certainly may have. Um, but a lot of the times, it really wasn't about me. It was about understanding who they are, where they were at in their journey, and what I could do to support them at that moment in that place and time so that they could move forward um, and learn and grow when they were ready and they had the capacity to do so. And so, um, you know, that was that was um, a, a lesson that I, I learned early. And um, I would say I continue to work on practicing it, even with the, you know, the professionals that I interact with on teams. I mean, we all bring different levels of expertise and knowledge. The family is one fam- one team member that brings a very um, important expertise. They are really, I feel like in some ways, like the number one teacher to the team <laughs> that we all need to um, listen and pay attention and follow their leads, um, you know, because they're going to tell us and guide us so much about um, what we could or should be doing with our in our time with them, um, but then you know, yeah, as 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 a fellow team member, um, I need to kind of hold that space and that regard for all the professionals that I work with um, too. Just because I'm ready to learn and grow and try new things doesn't necessarily mean that the people on my team are in the same place. And so I um, have to think about where all of my team members are and uh, how do I support my continued growth when I know I need it and I'm fueled by it and I'm charged and energized by it, um, but also not to force it on other people who might not be in the same place. Yeah, I think that's important to just, again, where you kind of said considering outside of yourself, we have to take care of our own professional learning and growth, but be mindful about what, what's important and what's happening with other people. Emily, we were talking about um, how, we're, how we learn and grow from families. So I didn't know if you might have anything to add, especially from your perspective, having seen EI from recently from both, both perspectives. Well, I, I actually, will, while you were talking, I just was going to chime in that um, I... <laughs> This is maybe going to sound silly, but it was always really comforting to me when I asked a question and an EI provider said, I don't know. 
I know that probably sounds ridiculous, but it made me feel like I really was the expert on my child and it made me feel really good like I was asking good questions. Um, And so, you know, I think sometimes, you know, letting your own professional um, kind of guard down to say that can it just it for me anyway, and of course, I'm one parent of millions, but it always just made me feel like, you know, like, I do know a lot about my child, and I am the expert, and I can ask good questions. And it must have been a good question if she didn't know the answer to it. Um, So I I think just from that, that parent perspective, that can just be really powerful, especially if you you have a parent. Um, you know, my my own personal story, my husband were not and I were not feeling very confident at all in our ability to meet her needs or raise her or give her what we needed. I mean, I, I can't really express that enough. I guess that's a different episode for a different day. Um, but <laughs> just just to to have sort of that like, wow, you, you really are thinking about these things. And um, you're asking questions that are making other people think it just it, for me, it, it gave me a lot of power as a parent to feel really good about um, my observations and what I was wondering about. Well, that's so good to hear. Because like I said, I felt sort of insecure saying I don't know as a new early interventionist, but I think I came to figure out it humanized me as a professional and helped create more of an equal relationship that I don't know everything. The parent is probably feeling that insecurity, like you said, I don't know it, they don't know everything either. But we're going to work together. And again, kind of share that experience of early intervention and learn and grow together. So thanks, Emily, I appreciate that. So I think I hope today our listeners have gotten lots of ideas for tackling shared growth and learning with their team members. And we're talking all kinds of team members, whether they're other professional colleagues or the families who, like Sarah said, are our most important teacher, our most important team leader. Um, So we hope you've gotten something important, some important things for you to think about, knowing that teaming, collaboration, shared learning and growth are all interconnected. We hope you've learned a strategy or two to prioritize shared learning for yourself and to support others. And in the spirit of shared learning, we hope you will share what you've learned and maybe even share the link to this podcast or this series with at least one other person on your team. We would love to see you kind of pay it forward and share what you're learning with others. We also want to thank Sarah for joining us today. Really appreciate your perspective, Sarah. So thank you. Um, We hope you've enjoyed our whole series on teaming and collaboration. And if you haven't already, we would love for you to listen to the other teaming episodes and check out our first series on functional assessment that Emily mentioned earlier. So as always, thanks for listening and stay tuned for our next series. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me.